Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. All right, today we have author Katie Carradine, and she has one book out and one that's coming out in October. And the book we're going to be talking about to start off, yep, Rain Returned is the first one. Uh, tell us a little bit about that one. It, 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 actually, before we get into it, there's two books, one out, one scheduled. Is this going to be a trilogy or more? That's a great question. So the plan right now and what I have confirmed with my publisher is a trilogy. So the first book, as you said, Rain Returned, that came out last September. It's currently available now wherever books are sold. The second book in the series, Blood Divided, is coming out October 3rd of this year. And then the plan is that the final book will come out in the fall of 2024 mm -hmm. because nothing moves fast enough in publishing. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> Readers want them immediately. And as a reader myself, I get it. But now having moved into the business of writing, there's so much behind the scenes that happens and that goes into creating one of these amazing books that you can hold in your hands. So mm -hmm. I have a little bit different of a perspective now. <laughs> there is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. So what's it like to start, I guess, building the world? And what is that like? I guess you have to maybe mentally map it out in your mind, or maybe sometimes you put things to paper to kind of get an idea where everything is. That's a great question. Yes. So for me, world building is my favorite part of writing. Every author has their favorite thing that they love doing. Some authors, they love dialogue. Some love, you know, coming up with the plot. For me, I always start with the world building. And I think that's because my own reading background is so steeped in authors who created these fantastic worlds. You know, I mean, of course, we have Tolkien and we have Ursula Le Guin. And I mean, just these these incredible ones, but also looking at like Garth Nix and some of the, the newer authors, um, newer to some readers. And it's really fascinating to me because I see things so clearly in my mind that the challenge for me is taking the pictures that I see and transforming them into words so that then when readers go through, hopefully they see the pictures in their minds that I'm trying to paint because I cannot draw, I cannot paint, I cannot do any kind of anything more than a stick figure, but I love creating worlds and these different realms and scenes using the power of words to convey that imagery. I'm sorry. So it's interesting. You actually get a visual picture in your mind about it. Now, do these pictures come at the opportune time sometimes? <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would say, you know, you can do everything you can to tempt your creative muse to interact with you. You show up, you sit down, you're ready, but you never know if they're going to appear or not. And a lot of times for me, I've finally learned that you can't force this. And usually 
the best ideas are going to come to me right as I'm about to fall asleep because I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm relaxing or it's going to randomly be at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I've learned I just have to get up, go jot down the idea, <laughs> go to bed. Thank goodness my husband understands this and is supportive of what I do because it's it's not easy being married to a writer. I can definitely tell you that. <laughs> what about dreams do you get? Do you dream about your work? That is a really good question. So I tend to not dream specifically about my characters, but I have definitely seen settings and world building in my dreams. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a couple of authors I've talked to, and there's a famous story for Silence of the Lambs where he was writing the book and he says Hannibal Lecter comes in the room and sits down in front of him mentally, of course, and says, I should be in this story. Uh, so <laughs> I sometimes they take over and, and stuff like that. Yes. Thank you for understanding that. So, so much of the time, I know as, as writers, we sound crazy when we talk about not being able to control our characters or not knowing what our characters are going to do or having no idea where a certain action or inspiration came from. And and these characters really do take on lives of their own. And you're living with all of these different people inside your mind <laughs> who each want their turn on the page. It can, it can get a little chaotic at times, but it's also so much fun to wrangle so many different interesting personalities. Do you find that if you do your job right, they do come to life? And uh, and really have, you know, a, a life, a, a vibrancy that maybe some characters wouldn't have if you didn't put the work in. That is always the hope. I have learned for me that I try to let the character take the lead because when I try to force something to happen, that's when I'm going to get notes back from my editor saying this doesn't work <laughs> and I can tell you're forcing this and I know you want this to happen, but it's not in service of the character and it's not in service of the plot. So have fun fixing that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's, that's what I do is go in there and try to say, okay, based on everything that I know about this character, what is a more realistic expression of them in this particular moment? And, you know, as authors, what we share about characters in books, at least for me, is the tip of the iceberg of what I actually know about this character. I go through and I do really intensive, in-depth character sheets for every character that I have. And I feel like even if there's information about a character, like I don't go through and tell you in the book what every character's favorite color is. I know that as the author. <laughs> I know what their favorite animal or flower or whatever is. But I feel like just having that kind of a backstory in my own head helps the character come across as more fully realized and more well-rounded. For people who have not entered this world, uh, kind of tell us something about the main characters so people get an idea who they're reading about. Absolutely. So in this series, we really follow two main characters. So we have Kyra. She's an astral. She has golden blood. And we follow Sebastian. He's a devil and he has silver blood. They are born into two warring realms where those with gold and silver blood despise one another. Now, what's interesting is in the past, this was one united realm until it was divided 
the kingdom was overthrown. And Kyra and Sebastian are working not only to remember who they used to be in a previous life, they're working to reunite their realms again. And so this is a series that is really near and dear to my heart on a lot of issues that we're dealing with and facing today as far as what is considered acceptable, who is allowed to be considered a person. Um, what There's a lot of social commentary and issues, but I deal with it in a way that's set in a fantasy realm because that's that's what makes sense for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what's great about fantasy or science fiction. You can, and even horror, you can really delve into issues yes. of today and you avoid the soapbox, which is the best exactly. way to do it. <laughs> exactly. And to me, people can take whatever they want from the books. You can read it on a very surface level and it's a YA fantasy, enemies to lovers, found family with all the all of my favorite tropes <laughs> included in there. But there's also on a deeper level, I want people to question their own beliefs and their own assumptions. And we really see this with my character of Kyra, who at the beginning thinks she really understands how things work. And there's a right and a wrong, and this is how it is. Everything is very straightforward. There's no shades of gray. And as the book goes on and she starts to learn more about people she thought she could trust and the world that she lives in, she's forced to question the things that she's been taught and that she thought were settled issues. And I, I, it's my deepest hope that readers will take that and internalize some part of it and not be afraid to question authority, to question things that they're being told and see, does this really fit with who I want to be as a person? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. I saw this quote, and this is really a high compliment when I think it was Lenore Borgia of The Last Huntress. Uh, called your book a fast-paced epic fantasy adventure with plenty of thrills and charm, and said your writing sparkles and provides a perfect blend of suspense, adventure, and romance that'll keep you turning pages into the night. That, I think, is one of the hardest things, to keep a book that keeps moving along, and it's so easy to, to get into one chapter and just delve on something that is not central to the plot. So is that editing or is that planning or how did you how did you kind of wrestle with that yeah how did i wrestle with that <laughs> well i will tell you i it's really interesting because the difficulties in writing a sequel are very different than the difficulties in writing a debut novel so when you write your first book you are the creator anything that you say goes when you get to the second book you have to work within the rules that you set up within that first book. And so there's different constraints. You can't just randomly pull in. I mean, you could, but I it's not good writing in my opinion. I, I wanted to stay within the confines of the world that I had created because that builds on itself. It's, it's better continuity. And I think it just makes it even more realistic in a fantasy world. And so I was really terrified with the sequel with Blood Divided because in a trilogy, sometimes the second book is no more than a bridge between the first and the third. Readers love the first book 
and they just want to know what happens at the end and how everything wraps up. And the second book is kind of seen as a placeholder to just get there. And I didn't want that at all. I wanted the second book to stand on its own, to be strong and to continue to build on what I had written. And so when I saw Lenore's comment, I just about fell over and then started weeping with joy <laughs> because anytime you put the words fast paced and epic fantasy together, you don't, you don't usually see those words in a, in a sentence together. And for me, I'm incredibly fortunate to have who I think is the best editor in the entire world, A.R. Capetta. They're a phenomenal award-winning author themselves. And they have been with me since book one. They will be with me all the way to book three. They love my characters. They know this world. And we've reached the point in our writing relationship where when they say this needs to be cut, they're right. And I don't fight it anymore. <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes a team and it takes someone beyond just the author because left to my own devices, it, it would be a 200,000 word giant that you know, could serve as a doorstop just because yeah. I want to include everything in there. And so having other pairs of eyes on it to say, this is really fun, but it doesn't contribute anything to the plot or the characters. We could probably cut this. They're usually right. Well, what's interesting about your background is that you, uh, you know, the first part of your life, you were a pediatric neuropsychologist yes. working with teens, young adults, and especially those battling cancer, which is obviously a very noble cause. And we, we still can't get rid of this dreaded disease. And uh, terrible. But, uh, you know, God bless you for that. But uh, really amazing. Well, when did the light turn on and say, hey, I think I know you've been writing a long time, but when did the light turn on and say, I want to do this professionally? Probably for me, it was around 2016 that I really started thinking about a career change. And this was huge because I spent my entire life in school and in academia. And to me, that was the end all be all. I have a bachelor's degree. I have two master's degrees. I have a doctorate. Um, I was fortunate to do my internship at Johns Hopkins University. I wow. did a two-year research fellowship at Children's National Medical Center. I was on the tenure track. This is what I'm going to do with my life. The problem was it didn't make me happy. Mm. And I don't mean that I didn't enjoy the work that I did. I loved working with the patients. If I just could have worked with patients and never had to deal with insurance companies, with billing, mm. with treatments being denied, and oh. also with losing patients, working in a high-risk population with kids with cancer, um, it's you you say goodbye to so many amazing people and it wears on you after a while. Sure. And writing had always been a solace and a comfort and an escape for me. And my heart was really pushing me in that direction, but I just kept kind of shoving it down and saying, you know, you don't put in all the work that I did and then just walk away from it to do something else. And I started questioning that over time, going, well, why do I think that? there? It, it doesn't 
belittle or demean any of this work that I've done to change career paths. And my hope is with writing, I'm able to touch children and youth and teens in their hearts in a different way than working with them from a medical perspective, but it's still working to let them know they're not alone. And that even if they see themselves in a character in a book, that's valid. Oh, yeah. Hey, anything that stirs the imagination is never a bad thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's mm -hmm. it's provided such a rich background for me to pull from. You know, one of the questions that is is very prominent in my series, my main female character, Kyra, she's a recoverancer. So she's able to go into death and recover the souls or shades, as I call them in the book, of people who've died before their time. Oh. And this was directly influenced by working with kids with cancer and losing yeah. them and wishing that I had a way to bring them back and give them longer and give them the time that they deserved. And so it's it's continued to influence my writing in ways big and small and probably in ways I don't even realize. Yeah, that's really amazing. That's really amazing. Uh, you know, what's interesting these days is I think something that has totally changed the publishing industry is ebooks and having your yes. books. I mean, it, it'd be nice to be able to carry, especially when the second book comes out and even the third, all three books with you. However, yeah. a device <laughs> like a Kindle, for example, and, and some of your, your, your first book is available as a Kindle edition. Uh, it's cheaper, number one. And number two, you get to actually carry all three books in one device. So yes. talk about binge watching, you can do binge reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Easy. Yes. Well, and one of the other things that I've seen, and this is kind of one of those you don't know what you don't know, in order to reach international readers, trying to ship books overseas is prohibitively expensive. If yeah. you have a, a $15 or $16 book and then to ship it, is going to be sometimes double, if not more than that. Yeah. There's no, there's no way that's practical. And especially for an indie publisher, it, it's just not going to happen. And so what's been so gratifying for me and is helping me get, get these books into the hands of more readers is the fact that there are, there's a Kindle version available and that there are e-readers. And so it doesn't matter where you live. I actually just had a reader from Nairobi, Kenya, send me a message and and she had read the ebook version of it and was like, ah, oh, when's the second one coming out? And it was so fantastic because I, I mean, if you know, years ago we couldn't even imagine that. And it's I am a huge fan of advances in technology for getting books to people. The next thing I really want to focus on in all my spare time is turning these into audiobooks because I think that's another really for people who are dyslexic, for people who love to listen to things while they're on the go, for people who just, they struggle to sit down and read a book. I love that they can listen to it. That's just so fantastic. And so that's next on the horizon is turning these into audiobooks. I highly recommend that. There are a lot of really good narrators I call them slash performers because they really yes. do, they do perform the book and it's so theatrical. Oh, and and every every single writer I've talked to about this, they say that they the person performing and reading 
add something that they didn't even realize when they to hear the words written or said out loud it just creates a whole nother thing but i highly recommend that it's a great way you can listen to it on your phone on your tablet again it's portable it's not exactly. like i mean they used to be on those uh you know on the on the discs yes <laughs> you know? But yeah, now I mean, you don't I need a Walkman back in the day. So. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's just a whole nother world. And as an MP3 file, you can really the quality is up there, and you add some music and effects, and it really adds a lot to it too. It's so. spectacular. I I completely agree. So readers and listeners, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So you have the second book coming out, and then the third. I mean, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves, but is there like another idea maybe you're playing with to do something else, either still play in this world or create a new one? <laughs> so, yes, there's actually another project that is a middle grade fantasy book. And I had the opportunity to attend a Highlights Foundation whole novel writing retreat. And I had never dipped a toe in the middle grade writing world. I'm I'm strongly in the young adult. And there is there are so many differences between writing for young adults versus a middle grade audience. And to be able to go and to work with people like Nicole Valentine and Nancy Worland and Sarah Aronson and these amazing authors who could give feedback and help me develop a middle grade voice was just priceless. So I'm currently working on revising. Um, it's a middle grade fantasy story about a girl who has autism. And when her grandfather dies, she also discovers that she's a bone summoner. She's able to summon animal bones from the ground. And now this is not intended to be scary or going into the horror genre. Right. What's really cute is she's obsessed with dinosaurs and loves them. And so when her magic comes out and everyone in her town doesn't feel quite so supportive of her being able to do magic, she decides that if she can unearth a dinosaur skeleton, she'll put this town on the map and all will be well. <laughs> and it's been really, really fun to work on. I'm excited to see where that goes. Fantastic. Oh, I like the idea. I'm a big <laughs> I, I am dinosaur never fan short of ideas dinosaurs are the best i love yeah. them i love them still yeah, even since i was a kid <laughs> since i was a kid visiting the museum of natural history and still visit it <gasps> when i can and yes it's just so amazing to see the fossils and to to, to see the height and and compared to what how you look it's just crazy it's, well the, it's book, incredible. the books are rain returned and that is going to be is out now it's also hard copy and Kindle edition and blood divided will be out. And that is in October, uh, right in time for Halloween, but it's not that yes. kind of book. No, but, <laughs> although there anyway. is a bat in it. So that does. Oh, there you go. Halloween. <laughs> and this is part of the, I hope I pronounced this right. The Felserpent Chronicles. That's correct. No, yes. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> It's always fun way. with fantasy. You never know. It's a little bit of a game for how yes, to pronounce this. It is. Well, Katie Carradine, thank you for being on the podcast and sharing about your work and your life. And uh, thanks again. And best of luck with uh, your writing in these books. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Oh, I think we'll talk again in October. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. 
Thank you. You too.